You are listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit vineyardaugusta.org. Well, uh, as Craig said, as, as Roger mentioned during worship, today is our first Sunday of Compassion Month. And this is a very special, important, significant time for us at Vineyard Church each and every year. Uh, and uh, we, we want to just really tune in to God's heart for the poor. Uh, it's something that it's not just a November thing, so don't hear me say that because that's certainly not the case. Uh, it is something that we do year round. Uh, but it is a time in November that we focus, uh, we press in to really look at God's heart and examine his heart for the poor, what his word has to say, uh, and just to, to really allow the Holy Spirit to form in us uh, God's heart for the poor, for the disenfranchised, uh, for those who are alienated and marginalized. And so um, this year, our theme is God's justice for the poor. And the passage that we selected uh, is what uh, share, uh, Craig shared with you earlier. It's from Psalm 140. There are a lot of passages in the Old Testament that particularly speak of the justice of God. And uh, this was one that we selected, again, from, Isaiah, from Psalm 140, verse 12. I know that the Lord secures justice for the poor and upholds the cause of the needy. Uh, this thing of justice, it's, uh, it can be a lofty term. So one of the things we want to make sure that we do this morning uh, is, is really bring it home. What does the justice that God is calling us to show in his name to the poor, to the world around us, what does it really look like? I think in its simplest terms, in its simplest form, this justice that we're talking about is, is the satisfaction of seeing things set right. We live in a world that is uh, controlled by the kingdom of darkness, by the kingdom of, of Satan, the power of, of sin. And, and so we see that we're in a conflict, a spiritual conflict, the kingdom of God uh, coming against uh, the kingdom of darkness. And we know who wins. We know who wins, but we still endure this battle. So this is a, a, a universal human sense that runs deep inside all of us to seek justice because we're made in the image of a God who is a just God, uh, and he is about righteousness. And so when we, we sense that, hey, we see something happen, whether it's in our own life, in our own community, uh, on an international scene, or maybe something nationally. I, I, one of the things that came to me firsthand was just that sense of, hey, this isn't right. Something needs to be done about this. I, I had that feeling, and I sensed that, as many of you did as well last year, when the news came of Ahmaud Arbery being shot in Brunswick. And just the injustice of that, and that it was two months before anything was really done about this. This instinct for justice runs deep in all of us, and it can get covered up with all kinds of cares and worries, but it is there, and it is because we are made in the image of a God, the God who is just. God cares deeply about justice, and although we carry... I guess sort of an echo of that pure justice, it's still there, but only in God himself can that longing for true and right and pure justice be complete and perfect. And I'm so thankful. It is really good news for us and for the world around us that injustice does not have the last word. Justice, God's justice wins. And he invites us to be part of that for the world around us. And that's because God is a God of justice. 
And God's justice, God's flavor of justice, the pure, authentic justice that we are called to, that we long for, it is true. It is good and it is always loving. It is rooted in God's perfect character. We read in Deuteronomy that God is the rock whose works are perfect and all his ways are just. This God does no wrong. He's upright. The Psalms tell us that God loves justice and that in that justice that he loves, he upholds the cause of the oppressed and he tenderly loves those who are socially powerless. So it's not just about God uh, you know, uh, making amends for things that are done wrong. It is a proactive caring and tending for those who are often marginalized and oppressed. This is the God and his justice that we're talking about. And Isaiah tells us that the Lord Almighty will actually be exalted by his justice. It's who he is. It's what he does. The Old Testament speaks of the God of justice who entails so much more, again, than just punishing wrongdoing. It is about protecting. It is about caring. And God calls all his people to seek justice uh, for those who are most vulnerable to suffering. And, And how do we do this? How can we do this rightly? Because let's be honest, a lot of our efforts as followers of Christ to make right things that are wrong, to bring about justice actually, in some cases, makes situations even worse. And so we don't want to do that. So where is our model? Our model in everything is Jesus. We look to Jesus, God the Son, God in flesh. Jesus came to earth to show us the Father and to reveal what a God-like justice looks like. And we're going to be looking at that over the next uh, two weeks today and the following two weeks. We're going to be looking at how Jesus demonstrates the justice of God. Uh, we see this in the way that Jesus interacted with the outcasts and the powerless, with the sick, the marginalized, with the poor, with the voiceless. And this morning, we're going to look at one of the passages where Jesus confronts systems, a particular system of injustice. It is found Uh, We're going to be reading in John chapter 2. The scene is the temple. And, of course, the temple is a place that represents for the the, the Jews the place of encountering God, where heaven and earth sort of collide and where they come together and the presence of God uh, dwells there. They come there for worship. They come there to atone for their sins and to bring sacrifices. And while this was the God-ordained good and right function of the temple, abuses had become commonplace here in the New Testament, just as they had in the Old Testament. And and Jesus comes to confront this system. Let's read about this this morning. John chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords. And drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remember that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to Jesus, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of 
was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what Jesus had said, and then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your desire to make us instruments of your peace as we sang this morning, and as we prayed. So Holy Spirit, come and do that. Come and form our hearts that we would care for the same things that you care about, God. Jesus, come and, and lead us to the, the outcast, to the marginalized, the powerless, those who have no voice, to the sick and hurting, to the poor. Holy Spirit, we need you to lead us and to guide us, to empower us, to give us wisdom and discernment, to see what you're doing and to engage and partner with you wherever it takes us. We thank you for this privilege. Come and be honored. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what was Jesus doing here? I mean, was he just throwing a tantrum uh, or is he making an indictment on the system of worship or what it had become because of all the abuses and all the things that were happening? Uh, I believe that Jesus' actions in the temple were a prophetic reminder of God's judgment and righteousness. It was a, a powerful prophetic statement that he was making. And we see this not just here, we see it uh, throughout scripture. We see many occurrences of this with the Old Testament prophets. And, and most of the prophets, uh, most of the prophecies that came in scripture, most of them were spoken, but there were also those occasions uh, at times in scripture where God would give a prophetic message to his prophet and the prophet would actually act it out. I mean, one in particular that comes to mind is Jeremiah. If you remember in the Old Testament, when God told Jeremiah to take a linen belt and put it around him and then take it and bury it and then go back in a few days and, and, and get it out of the dirt. And he saw that it was all dissolved and it was basically useless. And God spoke to Jeremiah saying, this is what uh, the temple in Israel is becoming because of their disobedience and because of their idolatry. And that was the statement. And this is, is somewhat what is happening here uh, with Jesus enacting uh, this prophetic message. Because what he's saying is that this is what's going to happen uh, to the temple. It's going to be basically just turned over. And it's going to be non-existent. You got to understand that at this particular time in history, that many of the disadvantaged among the Jews, uh, they saw the temple as, a, as an object of oppression to them. Uh, for them, the temple, it represented the rich, uh, those who were corrupt in power, and, and, and systems that were completely unjust and kept them at arm's length. So what should our take be on Jesus and his actions here? Was he indicting the temple and the activity of worship there? Uh, was he saying it needed to be reformed or was he just really having a bad day? Uh, in this action, Jesus was pointing to a new temple, a new temple that was coming, uh, a new temple that was coming that was going to be embodied in and of himself, a new meeting place for God and for his people, Jesus himself being that new temple. And as you read back earlier in the gospels, 
Jesus is already pointing to this. Because what would he do? He would, he would heal someone who was sick, and he'd say, and your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you? You can't say that. The only place you can get your sins forgiven is at the temple after you've offered sacrifices. You're saying your sins are forgiven? You can't do that. You got to understand that Jesus' statement like this, I mean, it was so audacious. It would be like you or me as an individual citizen of the United States of America saying, hey, you need a passport? I'll issue you a passport. Like, what authority do you have to do that? Uh, That's what they're asking Jesus. He is issuing and pronouncing forgiveness of sin. And they're like, "What, what authority do you have here? So with the whips and turning over the tables of the money changers, Jesus was pointing to the temple's destruction that was to come. He was echoing already what prophets like Jeremiah had spoken hundreds of years earlier about the demise of the temple and one that would come to fulfill all the requirements that were brought about through temple sacrifice. So by turning over the tables and driving out those who were selling these animals for sacrifice, and we got to understand this was a normal practice. This was something that was, uh, this was not an unusual occurrence, you know, providing lambs, which was the, the typical offering for most people. Uh, he, basically, Jesus was shutting down the temple system. He was shutting it down. It would be like all computer systems completely being hacked and overtaken on Good Friday for all retail spaces. Like, it it comes to a standstill. Nothing can happen. And Jesus is making a statement, a a prophetic statement about this. You gotta also remember, this was, the timing was really critical here. There were a lot of people around. This was Passover. So there there were crowds of people who had come from all the areas around Jerusalem to participate in this. And Jesus is shutting it down because he's pointing to the fact that this, this temple, as it is run now, with all of, its, uh, all of its fallacies and all of its idolatry and all of its injustices, is going to be shut down. That a new temple would be coming, a new way of worship that would not oppress, that would welcome all people everywhere to come and experience the love and the mercy and the grace of God. As we read this, we always need to remember because this is very atypical for Jesus, obviously. You only see him getting riled with religious leaders who are doing this kind of oppressive work. And in this instance, we got to remember that God's justice is never rooted in anger, okay? His justice is always rooted in love and goodness. So please let us never use this passage or when Jesus goes off on the, on the, the religious leaders to justify our outburst of anger. I, I, I've seen people, Christians... Uh, sort of aligning themselves with this with some of the social media rants. Uh, Don't go there. Don't go there. Because this is not at all what this is. This is not at all what this is. Uh, When it came to temple worship, you know, it, it, it it was about Jesus saying, hey, I see these who are oppressed. I am about to go and make a way for them to never be oppressed again and to say again at the end of all time, justice will prevail. God's justice will prevail. But this was not an anger filled, mean spirited rant. This was a prophetic message. So please, body of Christ. Don't use this as an excuse to go off on all the tirades, okay? Anger is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And, and so it's, it's vitally important that we remember this. So what does this 
This incident with Jesus, you know, this is Compassion Month. We're talking about God's justice for the poor. What does this really have to do with the poor? We got to understand that Jesus' actions were prompted by the way the poor were being treated economically and, uh, and being treated and economically exploited, particularly by the systems of the temple. As I mentioned earlier, when it came to temple worship, the typical animal that was sacrificed for the sins of most people was a lamb. That was the typical uh, sacrifice. But for the poor, a provision was made. If you go back and read in Levitical worship, uh, in, in the book of Leviticus, as it outlines the worship that God ordained, uh, we read in Leviticus 5-7 that anyone who cannot afford a lamb is to bring two doves or two young pigeons to the Lord as a penalty for their sin, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. Now, if you read the accounts of Jesus turning over the tables in the temple and all the gospels, there is one thing that's common among all of them, and it is this. Uh, Jesus speaks specifically to the dove sellers. He doesn't talk to the lamb sellers specifically, but he speaks specifically to the dove sellers, and this is what he tells them. Get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. Again, Jesus doesn't go after the lamb sellers, but by going after the dove sellers, he is speaking something. He is he's speaking specifically to the group who were having economic dealings with the poor. Jesus is angered by the way the poor are being treated and economically exploited. And that is why God's calling us to look at our lives, to look at the world around us, the systems that we find ourselves involved with, and to say, okay, where is there injustice? Where is there injustice, particularly as it uh, affects the poor, those who are marginalized, those who don't have economic power? Because this is, what, this is what the end game is here, guys. Jesus calls us to follow his model his model that was empowered by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit who empowered Jesus to do all the things that he did in the Gospels, uh, even in this, this example, uh, he will empower us to go to the world around us and to bring his justice to, to the whole world, especially to the poor. He's called us to go to the poor. He's called all of us. I don't care if it makes us uncomfortable. Fancy that. Fancy us being uncomfortable in following Jesus, who tells us to take up our cross and follow him. Remember that our, our theme verse for this, again, from Psalm 140, I know that the Lord secures justice for the poor and upholds the cause of the needy. How do you think God's doing that today? Through you and me through our hands and our feet, just like we sang this morning, just like St. Francis prayed. That's how he wants to do this. It's, it's, it's us. It, it, it's us uh, getting involved. It's, it, and sometimes we will have the opportunity, and I pray for more of us to have the opportunity to affect systemic injustice, like, like William Wilberforce did in the UK combating slavery. Uh, just an incredible act of the kingdom of God coming against the kingdom of darkness. It was a slow process, a long, lifelong process for William Wilberforce, but, but justice prevailed. God's justice prevailed, and, and, and we saw the, the end of slavery in the UK. And here in the US, we've got the, the privilege, the responsibility of voting, and I, and I hope and I pray as the Holy Spirit leads you and guides you 
that more of you would be involved in the whole political process in terms of voting, as well as even running for political office. Again, as the Holy Spirit leads you and guides you, I believe that that's an area that he wants more of the body of Christ to be fully involved in, not to see the kingdom of God come through political purposes. That's not it. That never works well. But he calls us to go into all the world, including the political realm as well. Again, as the Holy Spirit leads you and guides you. But I got to say, this is not a call for us to wait for legislative miracles and mandates to happen, okay? You know, our immigration system in the U.S., it has been a mess uh, for many administrations, both Democrat and Republican. Uh, It's like, let's just kick the ball on down the field and let's let somebody else deal with this because... These actions are not going to be expediently, uh, uh, politically expedient for me or my party. Okay? Both sides. Both sides. All right? So, we cannot, as we wait for our government to deal with and make decisions about immigration and immigration reform, God's word's really, really clear. And there's so many passages about how we are to treat the foreigner. There's, there are many, many, many about how we are to treat the farmer foreigner. And so it's about recognizing we are called to bring God's justice. We are called to be be kind, uh, to to speak up for those who have no voice. Uh, And it's it's a matter of inviting the kingdom of God into this whole process. It's, It's about asking the Holy Spirit, what does justice look like in my own life in carrying out the justice of the kingdom of God? Because remember the kingdom of God, as Paul tells us in Romans, it's not about what you eat or what you drink as dictated by the law. It is an experience of God's joy and his peace and his righteousness coming and setting things right. And remember, that's what this justice is all about. I also want to say this, God establishes institutions, okay? He established the institution of of family in the garden. He established the institution of government, of, of church. But let's face it, because of the rule and reign of the, the, the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of darkness, these institutions uh, can often be far less than what they're called to be. I, I, I want to make sure that we don't get cynical about marriage or about government or about the church and its shortcomings and completely just throw out the baby with the bathwater, all right? Because there are wonderful marriages, there are wonderful churches that are doing great things for the kingdom of God, and there are really great things that can happen and should happen even in the realm of government as we invite the rule and reign of God to lead men and women to do the right thing, to be selfless, and to really consider what is best uh, for the country. It's interesting for me as a pastor to recognize that we've got a lot of of pastors in our country and people, Christians in general, who have a problem with social justice. And I understand where they're coming from to some degree. Um, For for them, it's when a church endeavors to help the poor or people uh, without pointing them to Christ. And, and, And I get that. That's sort of like, that's why are you shortchanging, you know? But the flip side of that is the church, those who... Like, I want to share Jesus with you. I want you to pray to receive the gift of salvation. And they do that. And this person also is sick and they have no money and they're hungry. But it's like, okay, you're saved. Praise God. Endure to the end. That is not the comprehensive kingdom of God that he's called us to. And, I, and we want to be fully engaged 
in the whole expression of the kingdom of God. Here's the deal. Why do we limit ourselves with an either or? It is a both and. It is a both and that we're called to. So, you know, I think if, if you got um, our brochure about how compassion monies were spent this year, you saw that even in the midst of turmoil, political turmoil in the corrupt nation of, of, of the nation of Haiti with its corrupt government, we still were able to do a lot of effective kingdom ministry there this year. Thankfully for us, most of the things that we're involved in are, are far outside of Port-au-Prince, like in remote mountain regions where we're seeing churches developed and schools developed. We've got a project that we want to work with some of our other partnership churches to actually get uh, electricity through solar power and water filtration systems because they have no running water. They have no electricity there. So we're seeing that. We're seeing that happen with the, the clinic, the free clinic, providing excellent health care uh, for many rural Haitian communities. We're seeing that ministry continue. Here at Vineyard Church of Augusta in our food pantry, we continue to serve the poor. We helped one man over a year ago. Uh, this gentleman came to get some food. He was over 400 pounds. He was walking with a, uh, a, a cane. He had been diagnosed with MS. He was living in his car. He was basically, he was homeless. He was a mess. He, uh, we gave him some food. We, he came to church a couple of Sundays. We had some interactions with him, and then he sort of disappeared. Uh, we were actually able to help him with some, some emergency assistance needs as well. The last few weeks, this guy shows up at the office, and Kathy, our office manager, is like, I sort of recognized him, but I didn't. It was the same guy. Uh, over a year later, he lost 160 pounds. Uh, he had found housing. He had gotten a job. He's now a realtor. He got his real estate license and he's a realtor. And he said, I just wanted to come by to let you guys to say thank you. He said, you were one of several churches that helped me through your compassion fund. And I just wanted to come back and say thank you, uh, let you know how this story turned out and how it is turning out. He is a follower of Jesus. He recognizes the hand of God. And while there would be those that would just give a, a wholesale indictment to the church and its lack of response, I'm so thankful that when he came, he said, you were one of several churches that helped us, helped me. And I'm just, that's, that's, that's one example of, of so many. Uh, it is about recognizing that there are opportunities for each one of us in our everyday lives. Maybe some of those, we will not be able to bring about systemic change. But you got to understand, systemic change happens one person at a time. One person at a time. One success story at a time. One, you know, it, it's that thing of, can I just be really, really frank? Being a white middle-aged man right now, I feel the need to be highly conscious of how I interact with, with all kinds of people groups. I mean, I'm just being real. And, and I like people. I hope you know that. I like all kinds of people. Uh, but I just recognize I, I want to be more intentional about making sure that, you know, that I'm just interacting with, with all kinds of people that might not look like me or sound like me or live where I live and all those kind of things. I don't want there to be any barrier. I don't want there to be any kind of message that would say, you know, I'm better than you are, or you're different than I am, but you know, God, I just, God loves you and he wants the best for you. And I want to be an instrument of that love and that peace, wherever God takes me, whatever he does. And I want that for us as well. Our God is a God of justice. 
His justice is loving, it's kind, it's truthful, it's powerful. Jesus came to earth to reveal the Father and to show us what this kind of justice looks like. We're going to be talking about next week uh, how healing uh, was a big part, the being, proximate, uh, being in proximity to the poor and the, the ostracized and the outcast and the importance of touching and, and, and being there. And then we're going to talk about being a voice for the voiceless as well. But we are called to be bringers of the justice of God's kingdom. And so this morning, I want to pray for us to, that we would all, because I'm the church, you're the church, we're the church. There are really great things that happen on the campus of 3126 Parish Road uh, to come against injustice in the name of Jesus. I'm thankful for all those. And I encourage you to be involved in those. But there are so many more opportunities that you have where you live, where you work, where you play, where God leads you to, to be expressions of his kingdom justice. So I want to pray that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear what he's doing and how he's inviting us to engage with what he's doing. And I also want to pray this morning. This was something I was surprised by this. Um, I, I want us to pray for freedom from cynicism. Freedom from cynicism about institutions. Again, the institution. There, there are people that I hear, you know, young couples I'm doing premarital counseling with, and they're like, yeah, we're excited about getting married, but everybody else is like, why are you going to do that? All marriages are, you know, just because of their bad experience or the bad experience of their parents. Or, you know, church, why are you doing the church? I went to church and I was hurt and yada, yada, yada. And we have those stories, and I hate hearing those stories. But I also know that God is a God who redeems. He's a God who redeems and restores. And I also am naive enough and I, I believe that God would also do that when it comes to institutions of government. I got to believe that. God's called us to pray. And I don't think he calls us to pray for vain repetition. I believe that there is something he wants to do with the prayers of his people. But if, if we're not praying, he has nothing to respond to. And if all we're doing is being cynical and, and just, you know, not involved in the process and, and not speaking out and not getting involved and not living that out, that it's not just some sort of political thing, but it's something we, we truly live out, living what we believe. Fancy that. It's pretty powerful. I want to pray that for us. Would you guys stand this morning? I just invite you to bow your heads, and if you feel comfortable holding out your hands like you're going to receive a gift, I would invite you to do that as well. There's nothing magical in that. It simply represents a, a posture, an open posture to what the Holy Spirit might want to do. So Holy Spirit, we welcome your manifest presence in this place. I thank you for each person here today, and I thank you for your call to each one of us to be bringers of your justice. Lord, use us to set things right as you lead us, Holy Spirit, as you guide us. Show us what that looks like. Show us what that entails. Show us what that means in each situation that you call us to. Lord, I pray first and foremost that you would just remove scales from our eyes right now in Jesus' name. Lord, remove those scales from our eyes so that we could see people as you see them, that we could have hearts for people uh, that, that you have hearts for, a uh, heart for, Lord God, hearts of compassion hearts that long to see wrongs made right in Jesus' name.
And Lord, as we go and as we serve, I pray that we would also uh, see the gifts of the Holy Spirit in full operation. You tell us to follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. So Holy Spirit, I ask for words of knowledge. I ask for prophetic words. I ask for gifts of healing. I ask for gifts of faith. I ask for just the full gamut of your, your gifts to be manifest as we go and as we serve and as we love in Jesus' name. And Lord, I thank you that what you create, what you form is good. I thank you for the institution of marriage and family. And I thank you, uh, Lord, for the institution of your church and, and for, for government, God. I know that you created all these institutions to be good and to be aligned with your love and your goodness and your truth. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would free any of us who are dealing with cynicism about any of these, that you'd free us from that. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would give us the mind of Christ. And Lord, that as we think about these things, that we would, we would think in terms of, of the lovely potential and the potential of purity and, and goodness and, and things set right as you, Holy Spirit, come and do your good work in them. And as you use us to affect these things, Lord God, we just want to say yes to you. And the big stuff, the little stuff, and everything in between. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the amazing demonstration of your love given to us in Jesus Christ, our Lord. His life, his death that paid for all of our sins and was the eternal sacrifice once and for all. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence in our lives empowering us, leading us, guiding us, transforming us. In Jesus' name, amen.